This is episode 6, how are you doing? Welcome to Whiskey Unscripted, my name is Gordon Dallas and the reason I get excited, I'm just, I'm in awe of the talent that is, he's like the cosy Powell of whiskey. Gordon Dundas, how are you? I am very well, how are you Mr Dallas? Very well, we've reached episode 6. Unbelievable, <laughs> how we manage that? Oh Gordon, let me just, you better put the sticks down. Well, on the sticks, there's been a bit of movement on the sticks. Um, I've got a phone call from my agent. Yeah, I've got an agent now. I've been approached by Def Leppard to oh. go on their tour, which they're, they're doing, uh, well, obviously not in the short term, but uh, in the next uh, year or so. So That's amazing. really looking forward to that. Yeah, Sheffield's finest. Yeah, yeah. A sort of yeah. diet of wine, women and song. Yeah, it's um, plus a change. Nothing changes, Gordon. <laughs> it's a standard standard week for me. Well, Gordon, episode six, we have got a special episode. Do you want to outline our co-presenter? Well, yeah, we, we, we obviously being a producer, we have great insights and... Um, you know, people that we can bring in to, to, to try and impart a bit of knowledge through the banter and tomfoolery. Tom <laughs> and today we have a a, a blender. Um, we've got Emma from uh, Ian McLeod, who works in the blending team alongside John. Emma, are you there? Hello, hello. Yes! <laughs> <Yay! Yes>, <laughs> Welcome um, to Whiskey Unscripted, Emma. Thank you very much. How are we? Very well. Maybe just tell our listeners, could you just outline who you are and what you do before we get into the meat and bones? Uh, well, I am Emma Newton and I am assistant blender in McLeod Distillers. This is what we really you know, want to talk about is that the insider's guide. Get right mm. under the fingernails of whiskey making. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think that's where Emma can bring in a little bit of those you know, insights into all those idiosyncrasies, all those really, really interesting parts of how we make our whiskey and whiskey in a more general basis. Um, uh, so, so it's great to have you here, Emma. Thank you for coming. We've obviously got some challenges and some things for you to get involved with as well. But we really great. want to, to, yeah, no, absolutely. We really want to get a, get a bit of an idea of, um, well, I want to ask you, how did you get to become an assistant blender? I, many people would love to do what you do, yeah. making whiskey. How did you become it and where did you come from, as it were? Uh, well, I first started working for Ian McLeod Distillers in March 2014. So over six years ago, uh, I started as a tour guide when I was at uni at Strathclyde. Uh, I was originally studying pharmacology. I started working at a distillery as a tour guide. Absolutely loved it. Let's hear the tour guides, Emma. Let's hear <laughs> yes. the, the tour guides. the tour guides. Where I met Gordon Dallas. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's what goes downhill. Oh, God, yeah. I, I, it's, I, I, those cop movies, <laughs> no, she took me under her wing, you know, when I was the rookie. She was an experienced, hardened cop, and we, uh, we worked that beat good. Yeah, too good, some might say. They were very, I don't know, it was a good job. It was a great job. Couldn't have had like a better job while I was at uni. But yeah, I actually liked it so much that when I graduated from Strathclyde, I didn't want to give up on whiskey. So I went full time at the distillery, went back to uni at Herriot Watt to do the Masters in Brewing and Distilling, which took me up to 2018 when I started in a blending assistant role. And then from there, I'm now assistant blender. 
What I'd like to ask is about um, that. What's that course at Heriot Watt? Because sometimes when you read all these, the science behind alcohol and behind whiskey, you know, it always pops up with scientists or academics at Heriot Watt University. So what was the course? Just outline that to our listeners and what do you do there to uh, graduate? Uh, well, the course is the Masters in Brewing and Distilling uh, and Heriot Watt is home of the ICBD, the International Centre for Brewing and Distilling. So a lot of it is brewing focused, a lot of it is distilling focused, just a lot of hands-on experience, a lot of the theory really kind of encompasses everything within the brewing and distilling industry uh, with some interesting visits as well. Uh, where we were staying in Edinburgh, I uh, stayed through there while I was studying. Our local pub was uh, it's our favourite pub in Edinburgh, the Athletic Arms or Diggers. And they've got a constantly ongoing whiskey festival. It's £2.50 for a large dram of anything off the menu, pretty much. It's a great way to learn about the product as well. <laughs> Absolutely. And of course, at the moment, our hearts go out to all of our on-trade partners and our friends in the on-trade and these type of bars. And we hope that we can get back to some sense of normality as soon Absolutely. as possible. Absolutely. So, go- Emma, I'll just stop you there. Gordon, I think it's time our co-host was maybe given a small challenge. We need to wash our hands before we start the show. Um, a little hand wash challenge. What do you think, Gordon? Oh, absolutely. I love a hand wash challenge. <laughs> Emma, would you mind getting across to your sink? How's your... Yes. How's the water pressure? Oh, very good water pressure there. Uh, you mentioned it already. Uh, about a bar in Edinburgh. I just thought, you know, hopefully we'll get to the days where we can get in those bars. Um, but could you give us as many bars in as 20 seconds as you can where you would enjoy a lovely dram of whiskey? Take it away, Emma! Oh, here we go. Uh, the Pot Still, oh, um, Athletic Arts, um, Ben Nevis, oh, yes. Road. Bon Accord, bon Accord. Um, Ishkubri, oh, Boba, and that's 20 seconds. Nice balance between Glasgow and Edinburgh there. Emma, what I'm really interested in is, you know, we obviously have, at Glengoyne, we've got a core range, as a lot of distilleries do, some of them aged, some of them not aged, you know, like our 10 and our 12, which are actually really distinctively different whiskies. But how do you actually, for want of a, how do you actually make them? How do you... How do you bring them together consistently? Well, the first part is that uh, myself and John Glass, our malt master, uh, we work together on doing what we call vattings, which is making like a, a batch of these whiskies, such as the 10-year-old. And first of all, we try to bring all the casks together under one roof because they can be spread across different locations. So when all the casks arrive at the warehouse in Broxburn, where we're based, we will draw a sample of each cask and bring them back to our sample room. We nose them, uh, sometimes taste them as well, look at their colour. And from these samples, we will begin to assemble the Glengoyne 10 or 12, so on, uh, from these little samples. And, and, And will you ever add, when you're sampling and nosing them, this is the bit I'm really interested in. When you're sampling and nosing, you know, you'll be, you'll be, this is the bit I'm, because you, you, you've got whiskies and, and a selection of whiskies, I guess, at cask strength. So maybe 50, high, 55, 56% alcohol, something like that. And you'll be nosing all of them. Will you then nose them also? Will you add water to them and nose them again? Or uh, First of all, what we do is 
Uh, we nose them at about 20% alcohol, first of all. Uh, if you're nosing multiple samples, it can be tens of samples at cask strength, so yeah, about 55-60%. Your nose can get really tired quite quickly, but also you don't or might not pick out all the aromas that are in the glass mm. at full strength. So reducing it down to 20%. Uh, your nose doesn't get so tired, but also you can maybe pick out aromas and flavours that you wouldn't have got otherwise. So we do all of our wow. nosing at 20%, which is pretty standard across the industry. Ah, okay, because I remember speaking to Dave Broom, the writer once, who, yeah, clearly a very talented noser and, and noser, writer and um, <laughs> nosy writer. Knows how to, sorry, nosy writer, certainly <laughs> knows how to nose a whiskey and... and um, you know, he was saying that a lot of the, you know, the, the awards and all these types of things, you know, the way that they do it is they'll nose it. Uh, they'll have one 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 at, at as it's presented, cast strength, and the other one at 20% because, you know, you could pick up an off note in a whiskey at 20% that you may not see in one at 55. Is that is that right? Yeah, I think that's fair to say. We would, or me anyway, I would look at the majority of samples at 20% and then when it's getting towards, like, the final product, I'll start increasing the strength and either look at full strength or what the bottom strength might be and then compare it that way as like a, a final sort of check on it, if you know what I mean. So I'd look at it at yeah, a variety of different strengths, but the majority of it I would do at 20. I've not got to the stage of uh, reducing my whiskey in the bar to 20% yet. I'm not quite there. That's the difference between working and enjoyment. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> How different are the casks when, when you get individual ones, samples sent to you and you're nosing them and sampling them? Just how different? And the sherry ones radically different from the bourbon ones? Or is it outline that one? Oh, yeah, they can be completely different. And as like you, you hear quite a lot, they're all natural products. So even within the cask type, you get a lot of variation as well. So your sherry casks are different. Yes, yeah, so but you've got a lot of variation within those casks too. So each cask, like cast to cask, you do get an awful lot of difference but generally speaking your bourbon casks quite light quite sweet vanilla coconutty citrusy then you have more spicy dark fruits those sort of Christmas pudding notes that you get in the sherry casks so completely different styles across the cask types and I think you know one of the things I remember once was um was looking at two sherry casks that uh, came off the same shipment um had been filled on exactly the same day and about three years later the difference in the color was very very marked it does show you that they are very individual things doesn't it oh absolutely they're each doing their own thing and at a different pace so that's why it's so important to really sit down and look at them cask by cask and assess them individually how do you then decide for example if you've got if you if you're nosing casks that you're potentially considering putting in the 10 year old and you spot one that's maybe a bit different or one that's maybe offering something a little bit different to everything else. Would, would you maybe pull that out and keep it for something else? Or would you, is that sort of how it works? Yeah, well, if there's any casks that we might think this is like excellent quality, it's quite unusual, it's really nice, balanced, it, we might decide to use that for a different project. So we might keep it aside and put a little note against it to say, you know, could consider this for maybe the cast strength or for further aging or for one of the limited edition products or something like that. So, yeah, we do, we do well doing these big, bigger vattings like the 10-year-old and 12-year-old. You do come across individual casts that you might want to keep for another reason. So, yeah, we do that. So as part of the, you know, uh, 
a really good wood policy for a company, which we really have. We spend a lot of money on cash. You've got to have, obviously, every time you do a vatting, you, you do a, a batch of 10-year-old, a lot of cash going out the door. You've got to have them coming in the other end, you know, new cash being filled so that you can make these products in 10 years' time. And that's the really, really important factor in making whiskey. Everything is so much further down the line. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And we've got great uh, relationships with cask suppliers as well to ensure that we've got these great casks coming in. So, But, yeah, the quality yeah. of the wood is so important. You can have great spirit, but you need to have great wood to put it into as well. Yes, absolutely, absolutely. And just absolutely. on that point here, Emma, we had a wonderful... Uh, excursion, a travel, a travel excursion to Hereth, and you were down holiday. there. It was a holiday. And just on the note of holidays, was it Sandy that was on holiday? We were definitely working, Gordon. Oh, yes. Working yeah. hard. <laughs> it was. <laughs> but, um, yeah, fantastic trip. It was last October we went, and uh, visiting some of our partners in Spain, the Bodegas and the uh, the Cooperages, where the casks are made. It's such an informative trip. It's fantastic. Um, great experience. I'd highly recommend it to anyone, actually. It really was amazing. That's a, a lovely subject for another podcast. But what I really want to get to, you've got the samples, you've you've kind of worked out what you're going to use. How do you get the, the, the consistency? And it's not just flavour, it's colour as well as, you know, the nose. Uh, when we're doing uh, a big batting, we, we call it a batting when we're bat uh, putting a lot of the spirit together, like a big batch, mm-hmm. almost. We wouldn't just do it once and then it goes to bottling, prepare the next batch, that goes to bottling. We'll make one large batting, using all the different cast types to create like the, the 10-year-old, the 12-year-old, get it as close as we can. Uh, we do this by trying to use like the same sort of proportions of casks so just, just, from batch just to batch. Just explain, Emma, you're literally putting casks that come from the warehouse into a big, huge container in the filling store? Uh, initially it'll be a big stainless steel vat, very very large vat and all the casks that we plan to use for that batting will get disgorged into this vat right. where it'll be combined, mixed together and then it gets filled back to the wood that it came from where it can continue to marry in wood until ah. such times as we need it for bottling. Ah, okay, so it allows time to talk to each other and really really understand each other and become a beautiful combination of uh, of all those casks. Exactly. And just letting it all settle and, yeah, yeah, marry together and cask, it just brings it all together. All that talk of casks has got me has got me thinking. And I'm wondering what you're all drinking as I open my whiskey. I don't like this thinking business, Gordon. What's this about? <laughs> I'm going to share with you what I'm drinking. What now. are you I drinking, Gordon? Well, now... I have a dribble, and it is a dribble, of a whiskey which I absolutely adore. Um, it's the Glengoyne 25. Oh, hello. Uh, it is a beautiful whiskey. And for me, we know it's got great sherry casks. We know it's got a great slowly distilled spirit. We know it's natural color. But the one thing that I think really makes this whiskey is it's been bottled at 48%. Now, at this age, it really doesn't taste of it, of that strength. It's a beautifully rich European oak, fruity, dark brown sugary syrupy whiskey to be savoured an absolute joy so i'm sipping on that treat yourself gordon do you know what emma he always says he's got a dribble of these things which means only enough for myself however we're not not in the same room so i'll let him off this time emma (laughs) have you got a dram beside you i have got a dram here just going to open the 
bottle oh, right nice. now. Nice. Um, one of the best sounds in the world is the cork coming off a bottle of whiskey. It really is. Uh, I am pouring myself a glass of Glengoyne 12 year old which is a dram close to my heart I love it Yeah. and it was the dram that you'd introduce to people at the distillery as well so it's a great dram it's lovely lovely. I had one last night um, and I am I'm going to go off off brand as they say Gordon I've got tomato in here uh, yeah, legacy a, a non age statement here 43% a lovely lighter colour bourbon barrel matured whiskey a lovely dram very refreshing very fruity very pineapple and that sort of sweet marshmallowy flavours um, a bit of vanilla lovely little dram it's mainly bourbon casks I think isn't it yeah Oh, lovely. I think it's got a bit of Virgin Oaks, Scott Adam, someone's told me. Nice whiskey. I think it's a really good whiskey. Good choice. Good choice. So three three very different whiskeys. Three very Slange, everyone. Yes, yeah, Slange. Thank slanger, you very much. Slanger. And to everybody listening, if there is actually anybody listening, Slange. Slange. What I would like to do is give Emma, I sent you a parcel with a virtual reality headset on. If you'd like to slip it on, we could maybe nip to our virtual bar. Great. Great. Can't Gordon, wait. Sorry, First I forgot. Time it I forgot to send you the headset this week, Gordon. Don't worry. How would you like to try out the virtual bar? Oh yes, please. Okay, yeah. Just plug yourself in and let's go to the whiskey unscripted VR bar. Initializing. 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 Welcome to the VR bar. Emma. This is my own coding. Um, what do you think? Nice and cosy. It's not bad. Very nice. <laughs> Maybe I don't have enough bandwidth to make it a big bar. I see what you're saying. But I like them snug. Um, can I get you a drink? And there's a good question. As a blender, do you always take your whiskey straight or would you sometimes mix it up and have a cocktail? Oh, absolutely. It's have a cocktail, yeah. Uh, whiskey works really nice in cocktails. And... You know, they're good fun as well, and well, good different alternatives, so well, yeah. The barman's there, why don't you just order up a cup, get me one as well, and we'll just put it on Mr Dundas's tab. Uh, Emma, what, go on, Dundas. get the barman, what would you like? Uh, barman, can I please have two penicillins? Hello Emma, you can call me Hal, two penicillin cocktails coming up. Tell Mr Dundas his tab is getting a very, very big, he owes me money, et voila. Two penicillins. Is this your favourite cocktail? Penicillin's probably my favourite whiskey cocktail because it's nice and lemony, uh, honey and ginger and whiskey and a little bit of peat in there hopefully as well and it's like a big toddy. Interesting. Emma, just while we're in the bar, um, if, I love a bit of bar chat, hypothetical. Where in the world would you like to be sitting with a glass of penicillin looking out uh, over the countryside or seaside? Where in the world would you like to be wouldn't that be nice? Do you know what? My favourite place is just like the Highlands of Scotland. Sounds completely cliche or whatever, but I love it. So I'd like to go up north and just sit and look at the hills. That's what I want to do. That sounds very funny. You know, very wonderful. But you say look at the hills, Emma. Uh, true or false, have you not been actually in Loch Voyle on a raft race at nine o'clock on a Sunday morning? Is this the uh, actions I, of somebody like <laughs> to sit in the hills and just look at things? Could you explain yourself? My moment of fame, uh, yeah. At Monaco Moor Festival a few years ago. Mm-hmm. I believe you witnessed it, Gordon. 
over and above the rush of duty to defend the honour of Ian McLeod and Glen Goyne, we had to put a raft together and someone had to get in it light enough not to drown or at least fall in. Uh, well, myself and Katie Burns, <laughs> uh, yes. another guide at Glen Goyne, we manned the raft. Everyone thought we were going to win. Yes. It was all talk and we came last. We yeah, didn't do that's very well. my next question. What position? <laughs> came last and you did capsize. We capsized. We finished both in the water pushing the raft. We came last out of like 10 different people. It was awful, but it was fun. That's dedication. I think next time you do a laugh race, Gordon Dundas should be the first person on your lips to volunteer. Emma, just before we head back, music, what do you think we could do to this bar? It needs a bit of life in this place. Yeah, maybe a little bit of disco. Yeah, you can. I don't know. Yeah, maybe a bit of disco could liven this yeah, place up. Yes, yes. Yeah. Like heatwave, boogie nights. Yeah, take that under advisement. Um, and last week we asked Joel Harrison and Neil Ridley about mixing and matching music and whiskey. They thought it was possible. Do you think it's possible? You can mix and match anything, yeah. Get some, I don't know at the moment what my whiskey playlist would be, but someone out there will put one together and I, I think you could be the man, Gordon. Back. Great, <laughs> I think you should come back and tell, listen, let's get back to the, uh, let's get back to the, just tell them that you didn't like this. Tell them there was no cocktails. Tell them that it was just really dull. Ah, Gordon, how are you? How was the virtual bar? Oh, it's just as well there was a spare headset, Gordon, because it was awful. No atmosphere. I know. Cocktails are awful. Did he have have Atomic Kitten playing like he always has? (laughs) (laughs) If you can hear that music in the background, that is the music of our A to Zs of Scotch whiskey. If you like people going down the alphabet, letter by letter, talking about things as they go, this is the feature for you. Gordon, the A to Zs of Scotch, where are we at? F Now E was a tough one last week F It's not easy It's not easy but actually like most of them Maybe when we don't get to X and Z But uh, like most of them there's always something Yeah. So I'm going to start with Four shots Enough of your golf Could we just get to the uh, the A to Z of whiskey please <laughs> very funny, very funny. And yes, if I am playing golf, four is a word I use very, very often. But the four shots are the first part of the final distillation, which is the bit that we don't really want. It's the bit with the uh, the sort of bad stuff in it that we, we, we will not use in our in our heart of our run. And it always comes off the stills at a high strength, um, and it's called the four shots. And then you collect the part of the distillation which is at slightly lower strength, and then you'll stop collecting the part of the distillation and you run into the feints, which are, which Ooh. is another F, um, which are, or oh, can be very, not very pleasant aromas sometimes. So it's all about getting that sort of balance between where you cut from the four shots and where you cut to the feints that is really, really important. And that's what we focus on at Glen Goyne. You, you wonder, you know, I always like history. Who, who worked that one out, you wonder? You know, you don't drink... You don't drink the first 5, 10, 15 minutes of the run. You know, you know, granddad's well, blind, dad's got his leg amputated. Do you know what? Maybe we should just stop drinking that hazy stuff. Chemically, what's what's in a four shot? Chemically, it's quite oily. It's partly because... Well. So so we, we, we want ethanol. Ethanol's great, methanol's not good. Way. Is that correct? Absolutely correct, yeah. That's probably why granddad went blind. And, and I remember meeting yeah. uh, when I was... Doing my tour, Emma, I met a moonshine judge. That's what he said he was. A big man from Florida, about six foot eight and about six foot eight wide as well. And he was saying, 
he always burns the moonshine before he drinks it to judge it. And if the flame's blue, you don't touch it. <laughs> and I thought, he's still alive? That's quite an amazing character. But that's uh, the, the life of a moonshine Incredible. Judge. But yeah, incredible. And, uh, and, and, and it was from that that MC Hammer got his hit. <laughs> what one? <laughs> You can't touch this by MCM. <laughs> can't touch this. Oh. F. Let's move on. Faints and four shots. Emma, have you got an F for us? No, is that, is that a singer? Oh, no, sorry, sorry. Filtration. Right, okay. <laughs> it's really bad gags. Sorry. <laughs> Used to them, Gordon. Used to them. Uh, filtration, uh, yeah, important, especially towards the blending and bottling stages of production. You could... First of all, do some rough filtration to remove any char or bits of cask that you might get in the whiskey. Uh, this is another part of the process that you can do, typically if you're bottling at a lower strength, like 40 or 43%. This is after you reduce it down, you chill it in a vat, bring it down really low temperatures, like between 0 and 4 degrees, and then you start to get this haze forming, uh, which is caused by molecules in the whiskey, and then... You you can filter these out. And the purpose of doing this is that if you had a bottle of whiskey at 40% and it got really cold, you might start to see this haze forming. Uh, but this is removed if you do chill filtration. Can I go to one that's a bit historical? Can I go to um, what probably or certainly is Scotland's first or earliest legal distillery called Ferintosh? Ferintosh is in the Black Isle. If you've ever driven up past Inverness over the Keswick Bridge to the right is the Black Isle, and there was distilling there before 1689, but in 1689, the people that were distilling up there, called the, the Forbes family, very big landowning family, had their distillery and farm buildings burnt down by the Jacobites. James II had been deposed in the Glorious Revolution, and Mr Forbes was a big fan of the William III's and the Protestants down in England, and the Jacobites went up burnt his distillery. As a reward for his loyalty, he was given the right to distill legally for free. Almost free. So for the best part of a hundred years, the Forbes of Culloden made whiskey up there in Inverness. And that Gordon dates from 1690, from the, the start of William III's reign. And Ferintosh was producing upwards of two-thirds of the legal whiskey in Scotland. Oh, and geez. even in London, you could get Ferintosh. It made the Forbeses incredibly, incredibly wealthy people. And finally, after much criticism, the licence to distill was taken off in the Wash Act of 1784, which right. prompted Robert Burns a famous poem, Fare thee well, O Ferintosh. So an amazing part of Scotland's history, and I've not been to it yet, but the ruins can still be seen if you take a ride up to the Black Isle, which I would like to do once all this has passed over. So if for yeah, the Scotland's first earliest legal distillery, Ferntosh. But my other one would be, and I've not been to it, uh, or had much dealings with Fettercairn. I haven't I been, no. It. I've never been, no. Don't forget fermentation, an integral part of making whiskey, and that is very simply the addition of yeast to the sugary liquid called wort, um, which changes, obviously, it, it, the, the yeast um, creates alcohol and CO2, um, and you ferment for, generally, it depends, each distillery is different, but somewhere in the region of 60 hours, something like that. Uh, and you produce your 8% alcohol, which is then fed into your first still 
for your first distillation. So fermentation is a crucial part of flavor generation in the earlier part of production. So a really fundamental part of making whiskey. Right, well done on the Fs. And that gives me a chance to ask Emma, would you like to have a little challenge? Always. On all Always. Uh, Emma, before we had a quick phone call, you said we would be doing famous Emma's. That's too obvious. We did that with Sandy's. Uh, it's taken a while to work out what the challenge between you and Gordon Dundas could be. Now, Emma, you said your second name already. What was it? Newton. Now, Gordon Newton, Sir Isaac, yes. not only a very famous uh, physicist, mathematician, uh, also an alchemist, by the way, um, but a Newton is a unit of measurement. Go with me in this one. Mm -hmm. Yes, yes, about 10 mils or 8 grams of pure ethanol is a unit of alcohol, which is roughly about 25 mils of a single measure of whiskey at 40% ABV. That's a unit of alcohol. Now, if you want to measure a horse, Gordon, you do it in hands. The height <laughs> in hands. You do. So the unit of height in a horse is hands. Yeah. Is that right? Yes. <laughs> okay. Where is so, this going, Gordon? But carry on. <laughs> we are doing units of measurement. Okay. And I'm it's he, heading somewhere, and I'm going to um, ask Emma if you'd like to go first or seconds. I'll go second, please. Right, okay, that could be a mistake. <laughs> so, Gordon Dundas, uh, what is greater, a pint of beer or a half litre of beer? A pint of beer, because a pint is 568 millilitres. You're absolutely 100% correct. 568 millilitres. He knows his stuff. 1-0 to Gordon. Emma, um... How many standard bottles of wine are there in a Nebuchadnezzar? A How Nebuchadnezzar? Of wine in a Nebuchadnezzar. That's a tough one. Yeah. Uh, oh, 24. <gasps> oh, four out. It's 20. That was very good. Very good. Well done. I was going go so, for about Nel six. Unit of measurements. Yep. In America, and I know you've spent a lot of time in the States, mm -hmm. what sort of second is sometimes humorously defined as a period of time between a traffic light turning green and the cab behind you honking its horn. You've got three choices. A. A Harlem instant. B. A Bronx beat. Or C. A New York second. The first one. A Harlem instant. Which is absolutely wrong. I made it up a couple of hours ago. Yes! It's the, the New York second. Is the time... Between the lights turning green and a cab oh. honking you. So it's still 1-0. Emma, this is your chance. Still uh, Mickey's. Mickey's. M-I-C-K-E-Y-S. Mickey's per second is a unit of measurement for the speed and movement direction of what? Oh, oh Mickey's. Hey, who's, who's Mickey? Mouse. Yes. What do you use a mouse for? Oh, a computer mouse. Get correct! <laughs> there was no help there at all, Gordon. A Mickey is a unit of measurement for speed and movement of a mouse. It's one each. And now we go to Gordon. This is quite an easy one, I think. Uh, Gordon, uh, alcohol, how you measure it in a liquid. What fancy device do you use to measure the strength of alcohol? Hydrometer. Is the correct answer. I knew Gordon would get that one. It's 2-1. Emma, what unit is a warhole? What unit of measurement is a warhole? W-A-R-H-O-L. Based on Andy Warhol. What unit of measurement is measured by a warhole? 
I don't know, paint. <laughs> did you have a famous quote, Andy Warhol? Did you? Gordon, do you want to come and steal it? I've got no idea. This is so hard. I have no idea what you're talking about. It's way above my head. Andy Warhol said we'll be famous for 15 minutes. One day we'll be famous for 15 minutes. So a measurement of uh, fame is a Warhol, which is 15 minutes. So a killer Warhol, you're famous for 15,000 minutes, which is 10 days. And a mega Warhol, you're famous for 15 million minutes, which is about 28.5 years, which is roughly how long Warhol was famous for. So there you go, Andy Warhol. And that's a true measurement of fame. That is incredible. And finally, Gordon, this is just to put the victory in pure sight. It's against a bit of humour. What unit is measured in the Mega Fonzie? The mega Fonzie? Correct. Um, uh, cool. The measurement of uh, Fonzie is a coolness uh, measurement. So that, I'm afraid, Emma Gordon Dundas has seen you off. Oh, well deserved. That was awful. <laughs> That's terrible. That's that. But, very interesting, Gordon. Very interesting. And I've I've, I've expanded it a little bit, Gordon, because I thought if um, a Fonzie is a measure of coolness and a Warhol is a measure of fame, what's a Dundas? And I wonder if Emma would help me out here. Would a Dundas be the unit measurement of a whiskey monologue, which is about thirty minutes? So a killer Dundas would be thirty thousand minutes. I don't know. How long's a mega Dundas? A long time. <laughs> I'm not sure anybody wants to know that that is. Or would a, would, a unit of, would a Dundas be the unit of time spent in a bar in one session? Would oh, that be a Dundas? That would be a Dundas might be a measure of the number of whiskies consumed in a session. What about a Dallas? Yeah, what's a Dallas? A Dallas, I think, that probably would be the whiskies consumed in one session. <laughs> Brilliant. Oh, fantastic. Well done, Gordon. Top research. Top research. Um, and education, yeah. Absolutely. This Well, this is education across everything. And, uh, you know, a bit of banter, a bit of education. And I, that draws me on to something that I'm keen to get back to a sense of proper education and, and speak, to, speak to Emma about. Emma, one of the things that we hear a lot about is... Uh, and sometimes in a very negative form, uh, is no-age statement whiskies. NAS, or oh, it's not got an age, it can't be very good, all that sort of thing. As a blender, when you have the opportunity to create a whiskey that's not effectively a little bit confined by its age statement and all that sort of thing, uh, I'm thinking of sort of cast strength releases or whatever, what do you look for in terms of what does that sort of freedom? Does it give you a bit of freedom to produce something a little bit different? Yeah, it does because uh, there's a couple of things. Just because it's NAS doesn't mean well. First of all, that is necessarily young. You do get yeah. old whiskies going into these bottlings as well, but also you do get young casks that are absolutely fantastic. But people might have a preconception of the age of it or something. I don't know, but it allows from a blending side like it allows you to be creative you can use different types and ages of casks or big variations in age as well within the bottle i don't know it, it opens the door to so many different things that you can make it all just comes down to the quality the quality is there the age in my eyes anyway doesn't really particularly matter if you know what i mean if it's an nes and it's good oh, quality absolutely. it's a good whiskey in itself then that's what you're looking for yeah, and we know that age doesn't make great whiskey. You know, it's casks and spirit that make great whiskey, and age can be a function of that, would be how I would say it. But unless you get the first two bits right, great spirit, great casks, um, then you're not going to have a great whiskey at the end. 
and and I also, you know, I I think there's some wonderful blended whiskies out there, and I think I think everybody should always look at a whiskey on what it tastes like, not what it. You know, if you take it out its bottle, pour it in a glass, and give it to somebody, they'll go, oh, I really like that. And you show them the bottle, and they go, oh, I wasn't. I'm surprised it's that. And I think that's what's really really important. There's some really good blended whiskies out there, but single malt is a blended whiskey, and what I mean by that, and you'll you'll be able to talk to me here. It's it's blended all the casks from one distillery, and so all whiskies are blended except single casks, which is really confusing, but actually makes a lot of sense when you think about it. So you've got a category of blended whiskey, which of course is blended, and you've got single malts and blended malts and, you know, single grains can be, all these whiskies can actually be different types of whiskies, either from one distillery or many distilleries blended together. So blending is a huge part of whiskey. The only whiskey that really isn't blended would be a single cask. Is that correct? When you break it down like that, then yeah, absolutely. The, the art of blending has been a major part of whiskey producing and will be for a long time into the future. Oh, yeah, it's a huge part of the success of whiskey, blended yeah. whiskies. The industry just wouldn't be where it is now without the blended whiskies. Well, that's a great stopping off very quickly. I'll do it very briefly. Great starting point for the year that changed whiskey. This year would be 1860. This was the year that the first Open Championship was played at Presswick Golf Club in Ayrshire. This was the year the first ocean-going iron-hulled ship took to the waters. It was the year of the American Civil War. And it was also the year that the Gladstone government decided to allow, by legal status, the marriage, as you've said, Gordon, of grain whiskey made from those continual column stills and malt whiskey combined together to make what we now know as a blended whiskey. And legally, for the very first time, that was now a legal definition. And the blends, as we have talked about, went on to conquer the world in the form of Johnny Walker, Tommy Dewar, uh, Buchanan, Peter Mackey of White Horse, blended whiskey with the lighter grain whiskey marrying with the richer, um, spicier, rougher malt whiskey of the time created a consistent blend which led to the labelling and led to the actual branding of whisky. And the Irish said no. And I was just researching it after hearing John Cashman in an earlier episode about Irish whiskies. And John was saying that the, the big four, the John Jimison, the William Jimison, the George uh, Rowe and George Powers, the four bigs names in the doubling whisky distillation industry got together in 1878 and produced a book called The Truths About Whiskey by the way without an E and they derided the fact of this green whiskey should never be even allowed to exist let alone married with lovely malt whiskey and that was the death knell for the Irish whiskey industry for the next 120 years but yeah amazingly 1860 when blends were allowed the year that changed whiskey that's Fantastic. very interesting isn't it? and, and it's a, you, you you just have all that in your head uh, it's unscripted Gordon so it's not a script <laughs> if you've ever seen Gordon doing his uh, whiskey bingo it's an incredible thing to witness <laughs> <laughs> these facts just roll off your head it's amazing amazing fantastic wow well yeah you're right And but Irish whiskey now as we heard from John coming back which is fantastic so um, how is everybody's drink going I have uh, polished off my Glengoyne 25 and I'm now struggling where I'm going to go next Emma how's your Glengoyne 12 going it's been empty for a while now <laughs> well get well, well why don't you have another oh. penicillin yes I heard about it I heard you had penicillin oh, 
Man, how did he know Emma? Must be a leak in the bar somewhere. <laughs> Can we just say thank you so much, Emma, for joining us on Whiskey Unscripted this this week. Thank you very much for having me. Um, and educational. And yeah, thank you very much. Not at all. Not at all. It's been great to have you on board. Um, Hope it's shed yeah, a little bit of light on the blending side. <laughs> no, I think, I think look, there's a lot of people, Emma, there's a lot of people out there I meet who what you do is their dream job. Oh, absolutely. And Gordon, that's a, surely a, a topic for next week. Dream jobs discuss, right? We've got a week to find your dream job. And Emma, one last question for me. What whiskies would you generally go for? And could you recommend how our listeners should choose a whisky? For example, this weekend. Uh, well, I like a lot of different whiskies for lots of different reasons. And it does really depend how I'm feeling. Um, I do go for Glengoyne quite a lot, but I'm also a big fan of something peaty, so something like an Ardbeg or Lagavulin or Highland Park or something like that. But what I do quite a lot, Gordon, if I'm in a bar and they've got like a malt of the month or a whiskey of the month or something like that, quite often I just order that and it's a good way of trying something new that you might not otherwise have picked uh, and you might find something that you love. So if you don't know what you're feeling, that's a good tip. Fantastic. Well, Emma, can I just say on behalf of us both, thank you for taking an evening out of your time to, to come and talk to Whiskey Unscripted. As you can see, and I know you obviously where I had access to the notes that we'd made beforehand, that this is a very slick operation. And, um, you know, you are, uh, you, you, could, you fitted in brilliantly to how slick and how prepared this is. So uh, I'd like to thank you for that. <laughs> you almost believe that. He's got such a believable... How you're not a lawyer, Gordon, I do not know. So, you know, I was believing him. Well, I mean, um, it's it, it's a career that I just wasn't intelligent enough for. Emma, would you mind taking the guitar in your arms and, Gordon, get those drumsticks and let's play out Whiskey Unscripted for episode six. Thank you, Emma Newton. Thank, Thank you, Emma. Bye-bye. See you next week.